Welcome everyone, I am so excited to be here tonight, to have the opportunity to worship with a room full of women, to have a night together to just enjoy each other's company and gather in the presence of God. I know for myself personally, I had the opportunity to eat without being bothered, to go to the bathroom without someone knocking on the door. So I'm already living my best life on this Saturday night, but I know that there is so much more that God has in store for us. So tonight I want to remind you of a couple of sisters that we meet in the gospel of Luke and they are Mary and Martha. Now Mary and Martha invited Jesus into their home And while Mary sat at Jesus' feet, enjoying his presence and soaking in his teaching, Martha was busy going around the house, cleaning and cooking and doing all the things that we as women typically feel like we need to do. And she said, Jesus, do you not see Mary sitting here while I do all the work? Like, it's unfair. Tell her to get up and do something. And Jesus said, oh, no, 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 Martha. Mary has figured it out. She has realized that there is only one thing worth being concerned about. And that was to be seated fully in the presence of God, engaging in him and his words and just soaking it all in. So tonight, I want to encourage and challenge all of you to be a Mary, to clear out those grocery lists from your mind, to not worry about anything that you came in thinking about. Don't stress about your kids that are downstairs. They will be fine. Even if we hear some screams, I promise they'll survive the night. We have a police officer down there. Everything is good. We will make it through the evening and so will they. But as we join together, I just hope that we can clear out everything that typically clutters our minds as women and that we can just focus on and soak in the presence of God tonight. Now also as we get started, I wanna make one thing very clear, that none of us in this room are perfect, myself included, especially myself. I am not perfect by any means. If you don't know who I am, I'll give you a little, a little preview of who I am. And then as we go throughout the evening, I'm going to share more with you, probably more than you ever wanted to know about me. But my name is Emily. I had served here as the director of children's ministry for seven years. And I recently stepped into a new ministry opportunity as a chaplain with Redstone Highlands. But I am excited to be back this evening. And they gave me a microphone, so it's going to be a really good time, I'm looking forward to it. But as we get together, I just want you to know that I am not up here because I'm perfect. And none of us in this room are perfect. And if you think that you are, I'll just apologize now because this might be a long night for you, but it's okay, we'll get through it, we'll get through it. But as we talk this evening, I also wanna encourage everyone in here to be open, to be open with each other, to be open with God, Because as we become more transparent and willing to share with those around us, we're able to connect better with God as well. And if we can't be our true selves with other women in the church who love us and love God, then I don't know who we can be ourselves with. So as we get started, I want to tell you guys a story. Now, It's probably one of the most embarrassing things that has happened to me in my recent adult life, but it'll give you a little glimpse of who I am. So a couple months ago, I had knee surgery. And during my recovery from the knee surgery, we scheduled a bedroom remodel because that's how women recover from surgery. They they schedule ridiculous amount of housework to be done. So this contractor had been in our house for a few weeks and it was my first day back at work and I was so excited. I got up and showered and it was like a big day for me. Well, I had been living in sweatpants for like three weeks. So you know that to put on a pair of real pants, no matter how good they fit after wearing sweatpants for three weeks, it was a struggle. So I was getting ready and I was like, I'm just not, 
I'm not prepared. So I was putzing around my house, you know, in my underwear, and I was with my girls in the living room, and all of a sudden I hear a knock on the door, and it was like sheer panic set in instantly. I don't know that I have ever jumped up off of a couch that quickly ever in my entire life. And I sprinted past the door, locking it on my way past, rounded the corner to the laundry room because there was no way I was making it up a set of stairs before this contractor barged into my home. So I'm in the laundry room, rummaging through the dryer with half wet clothes, hoping to find something as I hear my four-year-old jiggling at the door handle, calling out that she's going to be helpful and let the contractor in. So now I have a timer running and I have to beat the four-year-old's dexterity in opening a door while I try to clothe myself so that I don't get caught in my underwear by a almost complete stranger. So luckily I pull clothes on just as she's opening the door and I was able to go unseen. So I tell you that not because I want to share my innermost embarrassing (laughs) stories from my home, but because tonight we're talking about being seen and most importantly being seen by God because he's the one who truly sees us. But there are times when we don't want to be seen, when we do things to try and be unseen. So as we talk about this, we're also going to meet someone in the Bible who made some choices, but who was truly seen by God. And his name is Peter. Now, I'm sorry to bring a man into the evening, but I promise it will be worth it because he truly captures this whole concept of being seen even when we attempt to be unseen. So this guy, Peter, was a disciple of Christ. He was one of the 12 disciples, but he was really one of like the disciples. He was there for so many parts of Jesus' ministry. In fact, he's mentioned over 120 times by name in the New Testament. He literally had a front row seat to Jesus' ministry. But he was someone who was trying to be a disciple. And through his story, we'll see that he was actually often confused, afraid, and known to be faltering. That sounds like me if I'm being honest, but it's actually Peter. So as we look at the life of Peter, it starts out with him as a fisherman, just a normal guy working a normal job, trying to make ends meet and put food on the table. He was nothing fancy. He had heard of Jesus through John the Baptist as he had been following him. But in Mark chapter one, we see the first real encounter that Peter has with Jesus. So it says that one day, as Jesus was walking along the shore of the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon, who's Peter, and his brother Andrew throwing a net into the water, for they fished for a living. Now Jesus called out to them and he said, come, follow me and I will show you how to fish for people. Sort of an odd statement, but Peter and his brother Andrew left their nets at once and followed him at once. I don't know the last time I ever did anything at once. Because that phrase implies that they did it without delay. There was no hesitation. Just immediately they dropped their nets and they followed Jesus. It doesn't say that they did it after asking a few questions, maybe after offering some suggestions after changing their schedule around, getting someone to watch the kids, maybe calling their friends to talk about it or putting in their two weeks notice at work or figuring out all the possible scenarios for how this could turn out. No, at once, they just walked away to follow Jesus Christ. Now, I'm not telling you tonight to walk away from all life's responsibilities in the name of Jesus. But I am telling you that if you follow his call, that it may involve you walking somewhere new. It may involve you walking somewhere that requires sacrifice and it will definitely 
require obedience. In Mark 1.16, it also said that Jesus saw Peter and his brother Andrew. Now he saw them. He physically saw them there as fishermen. But the amazing thing about Jesus is that he sees us exactly where we are, but he also sees us for what is to come. So while he saw Peter as a fisherman, he also saw Peter as a fisher of man, meaning that he would share the gospel. So Jesus sees us as well, exactly where we are, the good, the bad, and the ugly. But he also sees the plans that he has for us. But to fulfill those plans requires obedience on our part. And we're familiar with obedience, right? Like we all have husbands, boyfriends, kids, coworkers, parents, friends, those crazy family members you only see on Thanksgiving. And we expect obedience from them because when they are disobedient, we feel that. We feel the impact of that. It causes certain emotions. It's uncomfortable for people around them. But what about us? What about when we're called to be obedient? Because obedience requires compliance and submission. Those are like dirty words to me. The thought of being compliant and submissive sounds terrible. It sounds restricting, it sounds painful, it sounds boring. Like, why would I want to be obedient? I wanna do things the way I wanna do them, when I wanna do them, how I wanna do them, because I know what's right, right? But no, when we are following the call and the purpose and the plan that God has for our life, it requires us to be obedient and to go at once when we are called. And we know that being obedient is not always comfortable. Now, I wasn't gonna tell you this story, but something happened today and it perfectly fits this idea of obedience. So I'm gonna go ahead and share it with you. So as I was coming to the church today, I stopped at Starbucks. Now, if you know me, you know that I am a coffee nut. I love coffee, but I'm also super cheap. So I almost never stop and actually purchase a coffee for myself. But if I have a gift card, it's like, oh, hey, like treat yourself. So I had a Starbucks gift card and I had a big night coming up. So it was the perfect night to get my favorite beverage at Starbucks, which is an iced cloud caramel macchiato for anybody wondering. So I go into the drive-thru, I pull up to the window And this sweet-faced little boy says, oh, the car in front of you paid for your order and said, have a good day. And I was like, oh my gosh, nobody has ever done that for me before. This is my day. So I was like, well, I'll pay for the people behind me. So I had ordered one drink and I had a gift card with about $6 on it. So it would have like perfectly covered my order because when I'm gonna treat myself, I'm not looking to pay extra, I'm using the gift card. So this sweet little Starbucks employee tells me that the person behind me ordered something that cost $18.79. Now who goes to Starbucks to spend $19? So I look at him and I'm thinking, well, this is, not working out as I had thought it would. And as I hand him my gift card, I know that it's not gonna cover it. And he looks at me and he's like, oh, you're still going to pay for it. And it was like, well, I think I have to since I offered. So I hand him my gift card and then I hand him my debit card and it was painful to go from treating myself to a free beverage, to now paying $19 for somebody's who knows what behind me. And as he pulled my debit card out of my cold hands, it was uncomfortable. 
but I was obedient and I paid for their drinks with a smile on my face. Now, obedience can be uncomfortable. And sometimes it's in a Starbucks drive through line, but sometimes it's more serious than that. And Jesus himself showed us just how uncomfortable obedience can be. In Philippians chapter two, it says that he humbled himself in obedience to God and he died a criminal's death on a cross. Now Jesus came to this earth knowing specifically his call and his purpose and the plan for his life. He knew everything that was going to come and he lived a blameless life in preparation for that. He lived without sin. He was a teenage boy and lived without sin. He was serious about this plan and purpose for his life. But when it came down to it, when he stood close to the time of the cross, it wasn't easy to be obedient. In Mark chapter 14, verse 32, we find Jesus with his disciples in the garden of Gethsemane. So they went to the olive grove called Gethsemane and Jesus said, sit here while I go and pray. He took Peter, James, and John with him and he became deeply troubled and distressed. He told them, my soul is crushed with grief to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. So he went on a little further and fell to the ground and he prayed that if it were possible, the awful hour awaiting him might pass him by. Abba, Father, he cried out, everything is possible for you. Please take this cup of suffering away from me. Yet I want your will to be done and not mine. Then he returned and found the disciples asleep. He said to Peter, Simon, are you asleep? Couldn't you watch with me even one hour? Keep watch and pray so that you will not give in to temptation. For the spirit is willing, but the body is weak. So then Jesus left them again and he prayed the same prayer as before. When he returned to them again, he found them sleeping for they couldn't keep their eyes open and they didn't know what to say. When he returned to them the third time, he said, go ahead and sleep, have your rest, but know the time has come. The son of man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Up, let's be going. Look, my betrayer is here. So he went into the garden with the intent of praying that this not have to happen. He prayed, please take this cup of suffering away. He acknowledged that God is capable of anything and everything. And he begged and pleaded that if there was literally any other way that this could happen, that it be done that way instead of the cross. Let me also take a moment to point out his friends in this scenario, sleeping. I just want to say that if you are relying on your friends for obedience, stop. Accountability, yes. Obedience, no. You should surround yourself with a group of friends who share similar values and morals and standards that can help hold you in accountability and keep you on the path that God has intended for you. But when it comes to times of obedience, that is a one-way connection between you and God. Jesus took his friends with him, but he went alone to pray and to speak directly to God and to say, not my will, but yours be done. Because he knew that if we rely on someone around us to keep us obedient, that when we need them the most, they'll be sleeping. That when we're focused on finding God's will and on stepping into God's will instead of our will, if we're relying on others for obedience, we end up mixing in all sorts of wills and ideas and plans when all we need to focus on is telling God, not my will, but yours be done. 
And luckily for us, Jesus was an obedience success story. Even when it was unbelievably uncomfortable, he followed through and at once he stepped into the call that God had placed on his life as he said, it's time to go. My betrayer is here. So what about us? I mean, we're not the son of God. We don't know the exact details of the plan and call for our lives. We don't have that direct line to God in the way that we view Jesus as having. So how are we supposed to remain obedient in the ways that he did? How are we supposed to resist the temptations and make it through the times when we struggle? So let's go back to Peter. I feel like he's more, more on our level. So if we rewind a bit further from the Garden of Gethsemane, a little bit earlier that day, Jesus and his disciples were at the, what we call the Last Supper. So in Mark chapter 14, verse 27, it reads that on the way, Jesus told them, all of you will desert me. For the scriptures say, God will strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. But after I am raised from the dead, I will go ahead of you to Galilee and meet you there. Peter said to him, even if everyone else deserts you, I never will. Jesus replied, I tell you the truth, Peter, this very night before the rooster crows twice, you will deny three times that you even know me. No, Peter declared emphatically, even if I have to die with you, I will never deny you. And all the others vowed the same. So Peter declared, I will not desert you. Like, I don't care what all these other guys do. I will not desert you. And Jesus is like, well, yeah, but you will. And actually three times you'll deny me. And Peter declares again, no, I will never disown you. He goes as far to say that he would die before denying Christ. That sounds good, right? Believable, it's powerful. He's relying on God. I mean, how could he not? This man had a front row seat to the ministry of Jesus Christ on this earth. He had been with Jesus through all of the healings and casting out demons. He walked on water with Jesus. His own mother-in-law was healed by Jesus. He had seen and heard everything. But remember, Jesus sees us where we are, just doing our thing, and he sees us for what is to come. So he saw Peter in that moment as a faithful disciple, but he also saw Peter as someone who would deny even knowing him. So he sees us right where we are, doing our thing. And he sees us for what is to come. He sees the things that are going to trip us up, that are going to make us stumble, the temptations that are gonna be too much in a certain season of our life. He sees it all. But just like with Peter, he loves us through it. So even though, even though he saw Peter for what was to come, he still sat and broke bread with him that night. He still washed his feet and loved him. So Jesus sees us where we are and he sees us for what is to come. So then we get back to the garden. Now, when it came time for Jesus to be arrested, Peter was like, okay, this is my moment. This is my time to prove that I'm not going to deny him, that I am going to stand up for him and do whatever it takes to protect and honor him. So Peter draws his sword and he cuts off the ear of a servant. Now you'd think Jesus would be like, yes, like that's my boy. No, Jesus picked up the ear, popped it back on the servant's head and said, Peter, 
Would you put your sword away? That's not how this is supposed to happen. So Jesus had told him that he would deny him. And Peter adamantly fought against that by standing up in a way that he thought was right. But in Mark 14, we see that once Jesus was arrested, all the disciples fled. They were all terrified. But Peter and John circled back around and followed them to where they had taken Jesus. Now, this was very risky because Peter had just cut off the ear of a servant. And it wasn't just any servant. It was the servant of a high priest. And Jesus was taken into the courtyard of a high priest. So not only was Peter someone who was following Jesus, but he was also someone who had just acted real crazy with the priest servant. So chances are a lot of people knew who this guy was. So we read in verse 66, it says, meanwhile, Peter was in the courtyard below. One of the servant girls who worked for the high priest came by and noticed Peter warming himself at the fire. She looked at him closely and said, you were one of those with Jesus of Nazareth. But Peter denied it. I don't know what you're talking about, he said, and he went out into the entryway. Just then, a rooster crowed. When the servant girl saw him standing there, she began telling the others, hey, this man is definitely one of them. But Peter denied it again. And a little later, some of the other bystanders confronted Peter and said, you must be one of them because you are a Galilean. Peter swore a curse on me if I'm lying. I don't know this man you're talking about. And immediately the rooster crowed the second time. And suddenly Jesus' words flashed through Peter's mind. Before the rooster crows twice, you will deny three times that you even know me. And he broke down and wept. He broke down and wept. Shame, guilt, fear, remorse, doubt, panic, sadness. Does any of that sound familiar? from those moments when we know that we've been disobedient, when we know that we have directly ignored God's call, when we have turned from his instructions. Peter was courageous and he was faithful in ways that none of the other disciples had been. He was the only one to step out of that boat in faith and walk on water with Jesus. He defended him with a sword. He risked his life going to that courtyard. He had made bold proclamations on behalf of Jesus Christ. But in the end, fear and doubt led this man, known as the rock by Jesus Christ himself, to curse and swear and deny ever even knowing him. Not once, but three times. It's easy to think that after denying him once, he would have been like, oh no, 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 no. Jesus told me this was going to happen and I'm not gonna do it. I told him I wouldn't do it and I'm not going to. But then it happens a second time. And then it happens a third time. But how often do we do that? We stumble once and think, okay, God, that's it. It's not going to happen again. And then here comes that same temptation a second time. It's like, okay, God, I learned my lesson. Not again. And then it rolls around a third time. And before you know it, you're just like Peter. Lean into the darkness to weep. Now as God's children, he's not surprised by this because he has literally seen this 
with us since the beginning of time. So if we go to Genesis 3, we meet the very first people who ever walked this earth, God's first creation of man and woman in Adam and Eve. And it reads, the serpent was the shrewdest of all the wild animals the Lord God had made. One day he asked the woman, did God really say you must not eat the fruit from any of the trees in the garden? Of course we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, the woman replied. It's only the fruit from the tree in the middle of the garden that we're not allowed to eat. God said, you must not eat it or even touch it because if you do, you will die. You won't die, the serpent replied to the woman. God knows that your eyes will be opened as soon as you eat it and you will be like God, knowing both good and evil. The woman was convinced. She saw that the tree was beautiful and its fruit looked delicious and she wanted the wisdom it would give her. So she took some of the fruit and ate it. Then she gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it too. Now at that moment, their eyes were opened and they suddenly felt shame at their nakedness. So they sewed fig leaves together to cover themselves. Now Adam and Eve were living in this beautiful place created just for them. But they were given specific instructions. You can have whatever you want, but do not eat or touch this one tree. That's it. Don't touch it. Don't eat it. You can have anything else. But here comes that sneaky voice. We give Eve a really hard time because it didn't take a lot to convince her to eat from that tree, right? But how often have we heard that sneaky voice that's talking us into things that we know are against the direct commands of God in our life. Now, if only he showed up as a snake looking me in the eyes, I could avoid him. We would never get to the point in our relationship where he was talking to me because I would be long gone at first sight of him. But do you know how Satan shows up to me? He shows up as that sneaky voice in my mind. He tells me things, he reminds me of things. And you know the crazy part, he is so good at talking to me that his voice starts to sound like my own. And pretty soon it is my own. And you know what he tells me all the time? He says, Emily, because he likes to make it personal so I don't miss the message. He says, Emily, you are not enough. And he can give me examples too, like really good examples, reminding me of all those times I felt like a failure, when I made the wrong choice, when I gave into temptation. He can twist and turn every memory and interaction into a reminder that I am not enough. And this looks different in all parts of my life. As a mom, it means that I don't spend enough time with my children. As a wife, I'm not submissive to my husband in ways that I should be. In the workplace, it's that I'm not educated or as talented as someone else. With my friends, it means that I start to panic when they don't text me back as quickly as I thought they should. It shows up in every aspect of my life. And I can guarantee that he's talking to you too. He may just be telling you something different. He might be telling you, you're a bad mom. You're weak. You'll never be as good as fill in the blank. You're damaged beyond repair. You'll never be smart enough, pretty enough, skinny enough, good enough. Now, when we check back in with Adam and Eve in verse eight, it says, when the cool evening breezes were blowing, the man and his wife heard the Lord God walking about in the garden. So they hid from the Lord God among the trees. Then the Lord God called to the man, where are you? 
He replied, I heard you walking in the garden, so I hid. I was afraid because I was naked. Who told you that you were naked? The Lord God asked, have you eaten from the tree whose fruit I commanded you not to eat? The man replied, well, you see, it was the woman you gave me who gave me the fruit and I ate it. So then the Lord God asked the woman, what have you done? The serpent deceived me, she replied. That's why I ate it. So they hid from the Lord. Does that sound familiar? Peter fled into the darkness in his shame. Adam and Eve hid from the Lord once they saw their own nakedness and felt ashamed. We hide. We try to hide all the time behind anything we can find. We hide behind excuses. We hide behind explanations that we can make up to cover almost anything. We hide behind our jobs, our kids, our spouses, our friends, our church girl persona, our winning personality and smile. We hide behind our childhood issues. We hide behind anything we think we can fit behind. We try to hide, but Jesus sees us. And just like with Adam and Eve, God is saying, where are you? And who told you that? He's saying, where are you? And who told you that? Because after disobedience, Satan doesn't just leave. He is just getting started, honey. Because when we hide in shame, it puts us in the perfect position for Satan to access us more easily. And Satan wants you to stay in that shame. In John 10.10, it talks about the thief. And it says that the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. But I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. Steal, kill, and destroy. When that voice shows up in your mind, these are the only three things that can happen. He is coming to steal your joy he is coming to kill your relationship with Christ and he is trying to destroy anything and everything he can get his hands on. But Jesus Christ has promised that he came not just so that we could have life, but that we could have life to the full. But when we're hiding we begin to start believing that God can't see us anymore. It's just like when a child covers their eyes and they think that because they can't see you, that you can't see them. So they think that they're invisible all of a sudden. It's like that when we're hiding from God. We think that suddenly he can't see us anymore. But then we start thinking with that sneaky voice in our mind that God doesn't want to see us anymore, that we are no longer precious in his sight. And we begin asking, where is God in all of this? Where is God in this mess? The disciples felt like this as well. They had been there to experience the crucifixion and the resurrection. Jesus had even come to them a couple of times since the tomb was found empty, but they still were confused and lost and didn't know how to go on without Jesus there leading the pack. So in John, we meet the disciples again and Peter says, you know what? I'm going fishing. I'm going back to what I know to what's comfortable, to what I'm good at. So they go out in a boat, they throw their nets over, and they catch nothing. 
So a man appears on the shore and says, hey, throw your nets over to the other side. And they see this man, but they don't recognize him. But the man is actually Jesus standing on that shore. Sometimes it's like that for us when we're feeling like we don't know what to do anymore. We're struggling just to get through the day, to survive the current situation. And we think, all right, I'm just gonna try to get back to normal. I'm gonna do what's comfortable with or without God. I know what I know, I know what I can do, and I'm gonna do that. But then we do that and nothing seems to be going right. We feel alone. We continue to ask, where is God in all of this? Where is God in this mess? Where was God when I had that miscarriage? Where was God when my marriage was crumbling? Where was God when I lost my job or my house? Where was God when he put his hands on me? Where was God in all of this mess? This is not the God that I know. This is not the God who promised to take care of me. And even when we hear his voice and he's standing there calling out to us, we are so separated that we don't even recognize him. Even to see him, we can't recognize his voice until we come out of hiding, until we stop fleeing. So luckily the disciples were smart enough to listen to this man on the shore and they threw their nets over to the other side because they didn't have any other options. And instantly their nets filled with fish. And Peter understood in a moment that that was Jesus Christ standing on the shore. And without hesitation, he jumped into the water and swam to the shore and he stood in front of Jesus Christ soaking wet, dripping, staring at him face to face in all of his shame, knowing that he had denied Christ and not quite sure what to do next. So in John chapter 21, we see that when they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, he said, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said, you know that I love you. And Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And he answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. The third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Now Peter was hurt because Jesus had asked him the third time, do you love me? And he said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my sheep. And very truly, I tell you, when you were younger, you dressed yourself and went where you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. Then he said to him, follow me. So after asking Peter three times, do you love me? Peter was reminded that he had denied Christ, but that he was now becoming fully restored through Christ. At the end of their exchange, Jesus says, follow me. Now, if we think back to Mark in that first interaction between Jesus and Peter and his brother Andrew, Jesus says to him, come, follow me, and I will make you a fisher of man. And Peter had a lot of stumbles. 
He failed a few times. He experienced shame and he fled into the darkness and hid himself from Christ. But he was now fully restored through forgiveness and grace and was told again to follow me, just like he was on that very first day. Now, grace is something that is really hard for us to understand because it's something that we don't earn. We definitely don't deserve it. And it's something that we have to accept. It's a gift that is freely given to us. There are no strings attached. And I think as women, especially, that's something hard for us to understand. We want to give and give and give. But to receive a gift, especially a big gift that we don't deserve is really difficult for us. But I will tell you that if you do not let go of the lies that Satan is telling you are the truth, you will never be able to receive the grace. The guilt, the shame, the fear, the temptations, the pain, the brokenness, and the doubt, oh, we need to let it go. We need to hold on to the promises of God because otherwise we will grab on to anything else in sight. Now, I hate haunted houses. They are my worst nightmare. But a few weeks ago, we went to Fright Nights, which is when they turn Kennywood into a big haunted house. And it's absolutely horrible. So like, please don't go there. But we went there a few weeks ago. And as we go through the haunted houses, my natural reaction is to grab onto something. So whoever's in front of me, I'll latch onto them and pull myself close to them as tight as I can get. Well, we were in a haunted house and Matt walks a lot faster than I do. So we had gotten separated. There was nobody around me and there's nothing to grab onto because everything in a haunted house is scary. So we get out of this haunted area and I find myself clutching onto my jacket. Now, what would that do if I was actually in danger just to be clutching on to my own jacket. That would actually put me in a worse position because I wouldn't be able to fight anything off because I'd be holding on to myself. But there's times where we do this, where we're lost and confused and we just start reaching out and trying to grab on to anything we can get a hold of and sometimes we can't latch on to anything so we just cling to ourselves and hope for the best. But that will never work out. We need to cling to the promises of God. Now in the church, we often say things like, his promises for you are good. But what does that even mean? When you're in a difficult time, when things seem like they are just going crazy and you're not sure what to do, the best place and the only place to turn is the Bible because it is God's word that is filled with his promises. So I'd like to go through a few specific ones, but know that there are way more where this came from. But as we go through them, I would encourage you that if it's something specific to your life, that you would jot it down, maybe put it on a post-it note and hang it on your mirror at home or put it on your screensaver or wallpaper on your phone and use it as a constant reminder of the promises that God has for your life. So when that sneaky voice wants to come in and take over, that you can be reminded of these promises of God. So when life seems like it is just way too much to bear, in Psalms it says, give your burdens to the Lord and he will take care of you. He will not permit the godly to slip and fall. When you don't know what to do, it says in 2 Timothy, for God has not given us a spirit of fear and timidity, but of power, love, and self-discipline. When fear is overpowering, this is my command. Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or discouraged for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. When your heart is broken, Psalms tells us that he heals the brokenhearted and he bandages their wounds. When you need forgiveness, it says in 1 John, but if we confess our sins to him, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all wickedness. 
when we're anxious or troubled. It says in 1 Peter to give all your worries and cares to God for he cares about you. When you're grieving, Matthew tells us that God blesses those who mourn for they will be comforted. When you're in need of healing, we see in Psalms, let all that I am praise the Lord. May I never forget the good things he does for me. He forgives all my sins and heals all my diseases. When you're losing hope, now may our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God our Father who loved us and by his grace gave us eternal comfort and a wonderful hope. When you're lonely, Psalms tells us how precious are your thoughts about me, O God. They cannot be outnumbered. I can't even count them. They outnumber the grains of sand. And when I wake up, you are still with me. When life is chaotic, then you will experience God's peace, which exceeds anything we can understand. His peace will guard your hearts and minds as you live in Christ Jesus. So I encourage you to hold on to these promises. With them, I guarantee that you will know, love, and experience the grace of Christ. The voice that is speaking to our hearts and minds, it needs to be the voice of our Savior. He is the one who offered himself so that we could live forever. He offered himself so that we could screw up over and over and over again and still seek his favor. In fact, we don't even have to seek him. He seeks us. When we flee, when we hide, he is the one hunting us down and saying, where are you? And who told you that? If you do not understand the grace of God, then you will never understand his love for you and you will never be able to live in the life that he has planned and promised to you. I promise that you can get back what the enemy has stolen from you. He came to steal and kill and destroy, but Jesus Christ came so that we could have life and have it to the full. So we get back what the enemy has stolen from us by getting back to God. He didn't go anywhere. We ran. We hid. He knows you. He loves you. And he sees you. Let us pray.